this is Annie, and you're listening to Stuff I've Never Told You. Today, we are joined by a good friend of mine, Samantha. I actually met Samantha through past co-host Caroline. Thank you so much for joining us, Samantha. Could you tell us about yourself? <laughs> sure. Hey, y'all. Um, thanks, Annie, for letting me be a part of this. And hopefully I won't embarrass you too much. So a little about me. Um, I'm a social worker from the North Georgia mountains. So you will be hearing y'all from me a lot. You know, we Southerners are ridiculously friendly. Just so you know, y'all are already all of my best friends. Aww. I just need more friends. <laughs> But you've already got me. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I'm slowly drawing you in. I feel like I've tricked you in pretty well. So hopefully I can do that with many more people because I'm lonely. Oh. Well, one of the things I am very passionate about is advocating for the rights of women and children and how we can do more for each other and help protect each other, which is kind of why I'm here. Right? Right. Yeah. um, And I I like to put a a spotlight on everybody I bring on here. Actually, I haven't really done this, but I'm going to do it to you. Ooh. Um, may I ask, how did you become a feminist, Samantha? Well, that's a loaded question. Is and it? I'm kind of ready, and I'm kind of not ready, so we'll just look at the past of my life. How about that? Okay. Um, honestly, I think I finally admitted I was a feminist in college. Uh, for a while, I was under the impression that feminism was a bad word and that men were supposed to be the head of the household. But in college, I realized if it wasn't for feminism, I wouldn't even be able to be there. Yeah. Um, that's also where I realized how strong of a personality that I am. And oftentimes, the men who are supposed to lead me seem to lack something. <laughs> Not uh-huh. all men. Right. I'm just saying the ones I was with in college. Uh-huh. And I felt guilty for having very strong opinions around them because I felt like I was supposed to be following them and not leading them. Um, I think it was more of just understanding how feminism had opened up so many opportunities for us um, and being able to continue forward and grow in a way that we couldn't have done long, like years and years before. And even with my mom, things that have held her back as a female, thinking that she had to follow her husband to the end of times and follow his lead has impacted the adventures that she's been able to have or not have. Mm -hmm. So honestly, it took that long for me to actually get onto the board of, yes, I am a feminist. This is what I believe. And now in this day and age, um, meaning this last couple of years, I realized how important it is to actually take on that word as a movement and move forward and to truly wear it instead of just make it a stigma. Yeah. Yeah. I've shared a similar um, story about my own coming into feminism on the show. And this show is one of the ways that helped me do that. And so... I'm really glad to continue with the show and hope that it provides that for someone else who might be listening. Um, But a couple of weeks ago, Mm -hmm. you and I were having a cheese get-together. I love cheese. All the cheese. My social media, I believe, is half pictures of cheese. Yeah, most of the time I bribe people to come over to my place because I have cheese. Yes. It works. It does work. It is very (laughs) successful. Um, And as we are, we were... eating our cheese and discussing ways that we could work together and episode ideas. And we came up with something super easy and light. So easy and light. A 10 to 12, maybe, episode (laughs) miniseries on sexual assault, trauma, 
and all of that in the era of Me Too. I mean, to be honest, I'm trying to push it to like a 20 series episode just so I can live here. But that's just me. Yeah, I mean, it very well could be. It keeps getting, the the episode list keeps getting longer and longer. Um, and we're going to talk to lawyers, nurses, police, therapists. We're really excited about it and think it's going to be really great. But it isn't going to be easy for for us or for the people working on it. And I know it'll be difficult for you listeners. I've been on the other side as a listener of this podcast And we're going to intersperse some lighter stuff in there, but um, always think about your mental health when deciding to listen or not listen. And in each episode, we'll give a warning at the top so you'll know what specifically we're dealing with in that episode. And just a heads up, we're going to be talking about trauma due to sexual assault and abuse in this episode if that is something that is triggering for some due to the sensitive nature of the topic. We're not going to delve too deeply into it, but we will discuss it a little bit. And um, you suggested, Samantha, that it might be good to define trigger and trigger warnings. Right. Um, I think with the new way the word is, well, not the new way, but I think the, word, the way the word is being used today, we need to address what that is and why it's important to the listeners and to anyone to know what may come and how it may cause some access anxiety. So trigger is defined as a cause to do something or distress that arouses feelings or memories associated with a particular traumatic experience. And with the subjects that we're talking about in this miniseries, it is important that you understand trigger is not just a fad word or not just an overused word, but actually something that's important to protect ourselves. At a time where we become more and more willing, thank goodness, because of the issues that have come up, we need to be able to understand what trauma is and what we're able to face and what we're not able to face. And I think it's important when we say trigger, we're not just trying to be kitschy. Yeah. We're trying to protect everyone's emotions because... As we know, statistically, more women have been through many of these traumatic experiences than not. And so with those personal experiences, you need to be able to protect yourself mentally, emotionally, and physically. So, yeah, that's triggering. And honestly, it's a part of taking control Mm -hmm. of that and being able to say, I can't handle this right now. And that's okay. It's not a weakness. It's not a failure. It is knowing who you are and knowing and understanding yourself, mm-hmm. which takes a lot. Yeah. As a social worker, I deal with uh, trauma on a daily basis, whether it's another kid going through some trauma, a parent going through some trauma. When I worked with the Department of Family and Children's Services, it was a daily thing. And for me, trying to be strong and ignore the signs that I was actually being affected was more harmful. Right. And even though we didn't use the words trigger at that point in time, that's exactly what was happening. I was being triggered because of my past trauma, which, of course, we're going to talk about later on. I wasn't dealing with the fact that it was causing an emotional and, and honestly, physical damage to me every time. Yeah. And instead of saying, I need a break, I try to shuffle through thinking that I, if I showed that it was affecting me, mm-hmm. then I'm being weak. And yeah. that's not the story. So we want to make sure for anyone who's listening and who has gone through anything similar to this and or know someone who's gone through similar things, that it's okay to say, I need to take a break. Yes, very much so. Um, and we're going to try to be really, like, upfront and honest with what we're doing for each other and self-care that we're doing. And we're going to get more into that a little bit later. But since you're going to be with us throughout these 10 to 12 to 20 episodes, Samantha. All the episodes. <laughs> um, we thought it would be a good way to to kick off this mini-series with a sort of get-to-know-you 
type of thing. Oh, no. Yes, this is going to be a real illuminating deep dive. (laughs) And we figured we'd approach it by asking ourselves this question, and it's one that we have both found ourselves asking, are we failures? Mm. Because you and I, though we're in different stages in our life, we've both discussed how we feel like failures. Right. So, okay, then we're going to be talking about singleness. Yes. Which I'm raising my hand. That's me. Uh-huh. Childlessness. Oh, yeah. Again, I'm raising my hand on that one. Yep. And being poor, social worker. Yeah. I am always poor. Mm-hmm. Someone feed me. I... Can you feed me? I heard there's <laughs> snacks here. I'm going to take all of them. She did bring a bag specifically a for bag. snacks. <laughs> Don't really worry did. about it. Don't worry about it, y'all. <laughs> I will help you uh, abscond with some snacks. I'm so excited. I think it's only fair. It's going to be like a shopping spree. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um... <laughs> So I am also single, also childless. When I was a kid, I thought I would be married by 23, and I would have my first child by 27 because I was going to have three, maybe four, if I had twins. I had their names picked out, everything. Wait, is there twins in your family? No. You just thought maybe you would have twins? I just thought maybe, I think I wanted twins because I was fascinated with Mary-Kate and Ashley. I also love Star Wars and Luke and Leia. And we kind of talked about some of the the themes that we're touching on in our episode around making friends with loneliness. I haven't had a lot of success dating ever. The only long-term relationship I've ever had lasted for three years, and we broke up, um, I think, two years ago. I think we're coming up on the date, and I would say we broke up for three main reasons. I'm the type of person that, like, lists things. I write essays. Did you have a pros and cons list about why and how? Oh, my goodness. Okay. I I still have it. Let's go for it. Okay. Well, uh, all right. So he had just turned 30, and he knew I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to have kids. I didn't want to buy a house. And he just felt like, I'm 30, and I want these things, and now I'm wasting time. Honestly, turning 30 for me... Just to put it out there, I am in my late 30s. I'm not going to give you specifics because, you know, I'm going to hide all of that behind Uh my young, youthful face. Just agree with me, Annie. Yes. Thank you. Um, Was pretty significant for me. I had just lost my job and was trying to figure out what to do with my life. I literally didn't have a place to live, and I was crashing on someone's couch. I wasn't doing anything, I thought, by the time I turned 30. I mean, I grew up in a religious household which believed that a woman's duty was to be married and bear children and, and support your husband. Mm-hmm. I had none of that. Don't yeah. get me wrong. That wasn't necessarily something I wanted to do. But because I didn't even have a relationship at that point in time, I didn't have <laughs> any prospects of actually making money, I felt, obviously, this is the worst-case scenario for being 30. I was homeless. I had no job. I had no family. Mm-hmm. And, of course, for my birthday— it was just a little bit sad. On my 30th birthday, yeah. I literally ended up in a uh, bar in a very small town drinking some awful, awful pink sugary drink, adult beverage, we'll leave it at that, uh-huh. which resulted in one of the worst hangovers ever. <laughs> Happy 30th birthday. Was it an Applebee's? <laughs> no, but you know what? Yes. I used to go to that place often. After one of our hard days from the children's services and we would do a bad child abuse investigation— I went for those Long Beach, Long Islands. They're only $2. They were delicious. The first legal drink I bought was at an Applebee's, and I have not been able to forget it. It was Bahama Mama. The Bahama Mama. (laughs) Did you get the big version with the glasses as big as your face? Of course. Then you did it right. I'm proud of you. I had a good—I mean, I wouldn't 
It's not something I would enjoy now, but I think for the 21st birthday, it was a good one. Yeah, it was a good one. That's a good way to go. Why do you think why do you think that is that you that you felt this way at 30 at specifically? 30. Well, obviously being the low of the low, losing a job and mm-hmm. and feeling like I wasn't self-sufficient and having that small fear that I was going to have to live at home at the age of 30. Yeah. I, I was petrified. Also, because I didn't want to live in the mountains of North Georgia where there is literally one Walmart and three traffic lights. Yeah. It's great and all, but not when you're 30, single, and sad. I mean, that's just bad ideas altogether in that one place. And then I think also, I kind of blame my mom, not because she's a bad person, but she was also the person who got married as a teenager. And all of our conversations about relationships had to do with finding the one, finding the one, finding the one. And I was the one child of the four. I'm the youngest of four. That didn't bring home significant others. Mm -hmm. So they were all worried that either I was gay, which I don't understand that, or that I was going to die alone. And many of our conversations, my mother and I would turn to how she didn't want me to die alone, which she would then cry about, and I would just sit and stare. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely felt like I failed just for that conversation alone. Yeah. It is interesting how 30 seems to be this this decade, like, all of a sudden, oh, no, I, I recently turned 30. and Babies. <laughs> I have to admit, it. I have started thinking more and more about being 40 and oh. being alone, and that's just it. Like, nothing else. It's a sea of loneliness <laughs> in my apartment. Um, no one calls me. No one checks in. I just sit alone and stare at the wall waiting. This is why you get a dog that judges you. At least you have someone to argue with that kind of doesn't argue back but stares at you with this look on her face like, why are you still here? You think your neighbors can hear you arguing with your dog? Oh, they absolutely can. Perfect. And most of the time they're on her side. Oh. Well. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, come on, come on, Samantha's neighbors. Come on. One of the first things um, someone in our office said to me when she found out I had turned 30 was, well, it's time to be an adult and no more goofing off. And I, I experienced a real moment of, is that what it is? Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, exactly. You magically th- turn 30 and everything should be very put together. You should yes. be well put together. You should not be spilling things on yourself. You should not be falling. You should not be wearing um, dirty clothes. Oh, yes. Samantha and I are both very clumsy. I actually fell down at a, at a bar this weekend for no reason I can pinpoint I just sort of fell. Well, when you, know, you and I were discussing doing this yeah. as we were leaving, I definitely just fell flat on the ground of the parking lot. Yeah. My favorite part of that was that guy watching us just staring at yeah. me like, He made no doing? move to help Did or didn't care. say anything. In my mind, I was like, this is where I live now. Yeah. We just sort of relaxed for a minute. Yeah, I did. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm someone who I, I'm very active and I go do a lot of things and I... I'm not, I don't know why I'm suddenly, I'm worried as if something's going to shut down and I'm just never going to leave my apartment again. I'm in control of myself. Honestly, I think that's kind of how our friendship started, just because you would actually go alone to places. I was working at a bar, you came in with a mutual friend, and you just sat there, and then I invited you again, and you came alone, you sat there, and I was like... I don't know many women who would just do this. I know many men who would do this, but you did. And then I ran into you at a random food festival. Yep. And you're just chilling by yourself. I'm like, hey, Annie, you, you're just sitting here. I'm just eating some food. Mm-hmm. You want to join us? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know many women who would go and do things like that by themselves. That's pretty courageous to me. 
Thank you. Yeah, I I do love uh, going out and um, I I have this weird kind of internal. I'm gonna go and do all of the things. Uh, I call it maximizing. Um, but I'm so glad that I did run into you at that food festival. That was that was so random and great. We took a lot of bottles of prosecco. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Well, you did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had to walk home, so I just sort you of just like aided and embedded. That's true. Uh, it's funny because I am really independent and outgoing, and I've never thought about it through someone else's eyes. But now, sometimes I'll have like this whisper of a thought of like, am I pathetic at this theater by myself watching this children's movie? And then I quickly dismiss it. But I have the thought now, and I didn't used to. Is it because it's the children's movie or because you're by yourself? It's both, I think. it's yeah. That one's double compounded. Yeah, a, a double, a twofer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I did that. I was a nanny way back when, and I would pick out the movies that I wanted to see with the kids mm-hmm. and just be like, yeah, the kids definitely chose this movie, and I'm not the one who wants to watch this. Yeah. But, of course, I did have the front of being a nanny. Another thing that I've been thinking about lately is I have an aunt who is the oldest of my mom's siblings, and... She's alone and she's sick. And the way people talk about her, like her existence is so tragic and so empty. I, it kind of shocks me. Um, but she she does stuff and she does a lot of stuff. She helps babysit her grandkids. She's, she has a lot of friends. Like she's always out doing things. But it's as if because she doesn't have this like husband family thing, she doesn't exist or she just must be so sad. You know, I actually have a situation like that, too. I had an aunt who lived with her brother, and her only socialization was with my father. And that was one of the examples I would get from my mom about dying alone. Do you want to end up like aunt so-and-so where she's alone and other people have to come take care of her, which was a fantastic way to do Christmas. (laughs) But, like, I've also had aunts and uncles who, when their uh, spouses— pass away. Mm-hmm. They're by themselves and everybody feels sorry for them. But every time I go to see them, they're gone. They're doing things. They're yeah. being active. They're getting new boyfriends. They're getting new dates. It's just, it's not as you, we used to be. And I'm not really yeah. sure why that stigma of being alone is such a death sentence. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely hear it all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. Yeah. Merry I hear Christmas. You. <laughs> I hear you. Another layer to this is that my father is dying of terminal cancer, and there was pressure to get married before he died so he could walk me down the aisle and that he could see these grandkids that he had. Um, and I have two siblings, but I think they none of us are um, married. No one's close to having kids. My older brother did just get engaged, and he's having a Klingon wedding, and I'm going to be there, and I'm so happy about it. But I think there was kind of this, like, pinning of hopes to me. Like, I was the one that was going to go do this, like, normal family thing. And that's something that he had to learn to let go, and so did I. Because for a while, I I was seriously considering I could just find somebody that I like well enough, and I'll get married, and I'll settle, and at least my dad will have been able to walk me down the aisle, which is not a great way to go into a relationship. And now I've let go of that part, but now there's this pressure to take care of my mom and make sure she's not lonely. And what will she do? She'll be so alone. And my mom is a strong person, but I do have the sense that I, I don't want her to be alone. Like I think about it and I, I just don't, 
it, it tugs at my heart. Um, and she got married so young before she figured out who she really was on her own. And the conversations I've had with her have upset me so much because she just sounds so lost. Like, I don't know. I don't really know who I am. Right. I mean, my mom, very similar to that, except for the terminal cancer bit. But my mom got and my dad got married really, really young. I think we're hitting up into 49-year anniversary, 50-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. And I do not know what my mother would do if my father were to pass away. I'm very worried about that. That's been a scenario in my mind, which is awful, but I hope she dies before my dad mm-hmm. because I know at least my dad is self-sufficient enough. He's the one that's had the job. He's the one that's taken care of the home. Don't get me wrong. He would be very lonely yeah. because I think they can count on one hand how many times they've not slept together, like wow. physically slept together. So mm-hmm. he would be lost without her. Yeah. But my mom, her emotions, her empathy, and her love and just passion for her husband mm-hmm. is unreal. And I think a lot of that has to do with dependency mm-hmm. and, and habit. Yeah. But I, I don't know what they would do if they mm-hmm. were not together. I think that's what she would desire for all of her kids, and that's what she pushed that onto me. Yeah. I think she's realized as of late, as all of my siblings have all gotten divorced, <laughs> uh-huh. that not everyone can have their dream. Yeah. But I know that was something that would push her and motivate her, is that as a mom, what I want to see for you mm-hmm. is that you're not alone, that you're going to be taken care of. Not realizing. Yeah. I'm pretty self-sufficient. I can take care of myself. Yeah. I mean, if I have to sleep on someone's couch, I'll do that. Right. I have to go work at a Starbucks. Yeah. Well, and that's something, too. I think that's a whole episode that I'd love to come back to is just, like, having these conversations with my mom because she did come from a different time. Like, things were just different than they are now. and, And she is really receptive to, oh, things aren't like they were when I... Right. was dating and getting married and having kids. They're just not the same. Um, and she's a super strong woman. woman and uh, I don't want to make it sound like my dad dying and she's just going to be like helpless. That's not it at all. I just care about her. Right. And I know it's been difficult and it will be difficult. I was going to say, just from the little I know of your family history, she's already endeared more than most. So yeah. that alone makes me think that you guys will be just fine and she'll be just fine. But yeah the imminent, oh my gosh, yeah, what's going to happen next is always, always scary, especially because you don't know for sure right. how things will end. Yeah. Um, and she is truly, like, one of my best friends. I love her. We hang out a lot. Aww. Yeah. Oh. I love it. Yeah. But so this was all part of reason number one why I <laughs> broke up with my ex-boyfriend. Or really, it was a mutual back. breakup. I'm going to, yes. it was mutual. Yes. Um, so, yes, let's move on to reason two, which is I don't like having sex. Dum, da, dum. Yeah. And I think it's for a couple of reasons. I've mentioned before on the show that I have exercise bulimia. And um, one of the side effects of that is lack of sex drive. And you and I were discussing this at at the bar, the one that we— Raphael. Yeah. Yeah, yep. that time. Um And we went on a tangent about how society expects women to look a certain way, but that certain way might take away their sex drive and that men are entitled to sex, but specifically sex with a certain type of body. So don't get mad at us, society. Right. Right. I mean, so for me, 
now you get to really get to know who I am, the uh-huh. dirty secrets of my life that are really dirty, just sad, <laughs> was that I actually didn't have sex until I was 25. And a majority of that was because of my body issues. Mm-hmm. I felt like being a certain weight, being a certain type, even being a certain race was going against me. And I was absolutely fearful of showing that off. Don't get me wrong. I really wanted to have sex. I, I'm one of those girls. I got, I'm that thick girl who wants to be laid on. Uh-huh. Is that too much? Will that no. be edited later? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but... I'm also the girl who did not fit the stereotype of the typical Asian that men fetish about, which, by the way, I don't want that. Yeah. But there is that ideal of Asian women are slim and this and this and this. Right. And I also was not, um, I'm not white, mm-hmm. but because I grew up in a white area, white social circle, circle, thank mm-hmm. you, I thought I was supposed to meet that standard as well. Mm-hmm. Instead, I was this thick Asian girl with no booty, meaning my mom who, by the way, I'm adopted, so I have white family, just to put that out there. My mom made a joke to me, and I was so confused, in which sweet Southern woman says, Samantha, I didn't know you took a no-acetal pill. And I went, what? What are you talking about? She goes, because you ain't got no ass at all. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And that was from my white mother, who says, mercy me uh-huh. and bless your heart. Mm. Yeah. I have body issues. Yeah. Um, that is... Something else we could and should do an entire episode on. I mean, I know we've talked about it before, but there's so much there. Um, and we probably will get into that a little bit more in this mini series. When I was in high school, I ended up in the hospital because of body image issues. And um, this is something I tried repeatedly to get my ex boyfriend to understand that to me, my body is gross. And you telling me that you think I'm sexy does not change that. Showing people my body is a self-conscious, miserable experience. And he could not wrap his mind around that. Yeah, you're right. We could do a whole other episode on this issue. We should. Just saying. Mm Because I don't want to leave. Just do another episode. (laughs) But it's terrifying to know strong women like you feel this. And at the same time, completely understandable. I have a constant struggle about my body and the idea of being naked in front of people is terrifying. I have a constant issue of trying to debate, do I eat this? Don't I eat this? Do I drink this? Don't I drink this? How much do I have to work out to combat what I've just eaten? And it's a constant thing. I weigh myself every day and based on the scale is how I feel that day, which is an awful, awful way to go about life. It is. But it's a constant struggle. And being even in my late 30s, I'm more confident now than I was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm more confident now than I was 15 years ago. But it's still a daily struggle because it, you see and look around about what the standards are. And even though we've gotten better about showing real women, mm-hmm. there's still the stigma of, yeah, but you need to look like this. If you want to be like this, you should look like this. And when you don't hit those points, you feel like you failed. You feel like you need to stay at home with your dog eating more cheese sticks. Yeah. I love cheese sticks. Well, we've established that we love cheese. We love cheese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cheese. Um, it's one of those things I, I feel guilty. Like every time I eat, I feel guilty. And uh, I remember there's been a couple of studies that have shown that for women, a lot of women who don't enjoy sex, it's because the whole time they feel so self-conscious about their body. And that's sad. Like, this should be a pleasurable experience for both right. parties, for all parties involved. And, and we're definitely going to talk more about this, but um, I told you I'm on the online dating world, and <laughs> I've been there for 
feel like it's almost like a part-time job. Yeah. I probably should rethink my strategy because I'm really, really bad at it. Uh-huh. But one of the things about, uh, I think there was one specific site that asked the questionnaire about if you don't feel good about yourself, are you still able to have sex? Yeah. And the majority of the men that I've seen respond are like, absolutely, yes, anytime. And for the majority of the women, they're like, no, 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 no. Don't touch me. Don't look at me. I'm going to hide away in my burlap sack in the corner. Right. Eating on cheese sticks. That's just going to be my theme, I guess. But <laughs> that's a thing that is a constant thing. If I don't feel good about myself, all I can think while I'm with you is what do I look to you? Yeah. And it's it's awful. It shouldn't be like that. It should be pleasurable. It should be a moment of intimacy and feeling like you're together or at least just enjoying it. Yeah. But yeah. it's not. It becomes a whole different thing. It does. Um, another thing at play for me is, and you and I have talked about this off air, is that I've wondered whether or not I am asexual. I've always considered myself queer and I've attracted to men and women. I've dated men and women. But still, I have never wanted to have sex. Um, that's something I'm still trying to figure out about myself. Still learning, still growing. Yeah, I mean, I think that has a lot to do with intimacy, too. Mm-hmm. And I know, again, we're going to talk more and more about this, the idea of intimacy, the idea of how trauma affects our personal being. But for me, it's sex and relationship was something I could separate as two different things. So mm-hmm. I'm the not the opposite, but a different uh, prospect because I like sex. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I enjoy sex, and I'm, I'm not going to get too deep into that, but, you know, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> uh-huh. However, I do separate relationship from that oftentimes, and I make the mistake of having one or the other and then coming back to trying to put them together. Mm-hmm. I think, um, just to let you know into my very uneventful life, I haven't had a relationship last longer than seven months. And for me, the idea of forever is very foreign to me. I mean, even at late 30s, I cannot come— completely comprehend the idea of the rest of my life. I mean, forever? Forever, ever? Ever, ever? (laughs) No. It's just something that doesn't make sense to me. And so for me to put that with sex, a relationship with intimacy plus sex, seems like such a big thing Mm -hmm. that I cannot comprehend that as one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that has a lot to do with my own trauma and attachment issues, which we'll get into later on. Yeah, and going off of that, the third and final reason, uh, main reason, because I, I do have I love a list uh, that I, <laughs> me and my last boyfriend broke up, is my history with sexual assault and abuse and trauma, and it was something I was relatively open with, open about with him, um, and we both thought we could work through it, and that turned out to not be the case. And I want to say here that my ex boyfriend was a lovely person. He never pushed me or made me feel uncomfortable. We had what I would call the most mature breakup. Uh, We said to each other, here are all the things I love and like about you, but here are the things I don't think that you can give me are things I can't get out of this relationship. And that was that. You're still friends, right? Yeah, we're meeting later tonight. Crazy. Yeah. To me, ex-people should not exist. (laughs) They they just... They go into the void of nowhere that I don't ever want to see again. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it was definitely... Awkward, and it's it's so easy to fall back into old habits. Right. So we don't hang out too too often, <laughs> but you know we do. You have limits. That's yes, good. Yes, yes. Um, and I like to joke that Donald Trump killed our relationship. Um, it's half joking, half true. I was beca- going to say, is that really a joke though? Yeah, because his election was the final nail in our relationship coffin. Because we w- we were at a um, 
party soon after. And I, I don't know, something just snapped in my brain and I started shouting at him, like, I'm not okay. You know I'm not okay. Why are we both pretending I'm okay? Because I couldn't, I couldn't, there was a mask I had up and it just broke, it crumbled. And I couldn't keep going anymore. And that's why, like, I think I told you, this is the most I've ever told anybody. Right. Um, I've never shared so much of what we're talking about. And it's because I couldn't go on anymore. Right. Um, it was exhausting. And um, I am a very logical person. And even I, I always felt like I'm less than, I'm not enough. But I knew logically that wasn't true. Right. So I was able to kind of, okay, I know you feel this way, but here's logic reason X, Y, Z, why you're wrong. But then when Trump was elected, it was a signal to me that in the eyes of people of society, I was less than. Right. And if you feel that way, and then you see like this sign, it's really hard to fight that. Um, I know that's part of our conversation that we had. Um, after our cheese night, yes. cheese and wine night. <laughs> yep. I had wine there too, y'all. Yep. But at this point in time, this is the best time to come forward because we need to support each other. And you and I were talking about the fact that everybody is like, why is everybody having so many issues? Oh, all now women will report these now. Yeah. And it's not so much that they, it's happening now. It's more that they've been empowered. You hear one story, it encourages another to tell their story. They hear their story and encourages another to tell the story. It's not so much that it's a new thing. It's more so that we've taken on our power and felt like we could finally advocate for ourselves and talk about what's wrong. And we want to correct that. And we're going to take it back, take that power back, and take these issues that have haunted us Mm -hmm. for so long and, and shamed us when it was not our fault. I think for me... My attachment issues due to my trauma affect my relationships altogether. I think um, when you can see in my past relationship, there's this concept of me being disposable as a female and not completely trusting men. I'm going to say especially white men. I have a hard time as a woman of color feeling like I am of worth to them. Uh, I grew up in an era of being used. And when, when I say that, I guess it's my era, not so much the era of the time. I grew up in an orphanage. I, I was brought to the U.S. And those times were probably some of the most the traumatic times that I've had in my life. And I was told on a constant basis, and I was shown that I was lesser and that I was more oftentimes in the way and or just for their pleasure. Mm-hmm. So for me, I still cannot let that go. I have gone through many years of therapy. You and I talked about this. And one of the reasons I am a social worker was because I was fighting against that. I wanted to fight for others who felt that way. We'll definitely be getting into this all later, but my standard on online dating has changed because of that as well. Since our current president has been in power, my understanding of allies has changed. And that, for me, is significant others. So when I have someone online tell me, yeah, I'm a feminist, but mm-hmm. I think this and this and this is too much. Or I think people of color are making too much of this. Who want to call themselves liberal? Then you start realizing you're not an ally. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that goes for female friends as well. But on my basis of trying to figure out, do I want to date you? 
I don't think I trust you. We're yeah. going to go on and move. Because I already have issues. We don't want to add the political factor into this as well. We have a lot, a lot more to dive into here. But first, we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. back. Thank you, sponsor. All right. So how do you succeed then? The dictionary defines success as one, the favorable or prosperous termination of attempts or endeavors, the accomplishment of one's goals. And when I read that definition, my mind kind of went into like panic mode, trying to think of what goal do I have goals? What goals? And I found an old list of goals I have from, like, college. Nice. And it, one, number one was don't waste any more time, two exclamation points. Thank you for that, all right? Um, two, become famous. Three, visit every continent. Four, go to space. And five, get a book published. So, yes, failure. Well, you're famous to me, just so you know. <laughs> Thank you. Because you're a part of this amazing crew. Of people who talk a lot. <laughs> Thank you. I will take that as a okay. compliment. I'm just saying. It is. It is a compliment. People know who you are. I actually mentioned you this weekend at my other job. And they were like, Annie from Food Stuff? And I was like, yeah. Yes. We love her. She's one of the best people. Aww. So see, you're famous. Thank you. I do like to think I have um, matured and that all of these goals are very selfish goals. I think you should definitely go to space, though. Oh, I mean, these are still goals, but yeah. I, I've added more nuance of, oh, like, helping okay. people, those kinds of things. This was, like, in college, and it was also my Google, like, task thing, so who knows? What I probably just randomly put—it's this thing I have where, like, usually when I'm drunk, I just type something in there to remind myself later. Right now, at the top, I love this because I think it's from Harry Potter. Of course. It says, disarm only. Oh, I that's think. what Harry Potter says when he's teaching them during the Order of the Phoenix. Yes, you are correct. Only, right? I'm really sad I know that reference. No. Oh, I'm very happy you know that reference. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, as a model minority, and please know I'm putting that in quotes and mm-hmm. with a scowl face, uh, my goal has always been to stay under the radar and survive. I think that's what I learned growing up being the minority of a small town was to fit in, to blend in, and to not be noticed. Uh, I'm less inclined to stay under the radar as a late 30-year-old because I'm fairly prone to get angry, mm-hmm. especially at this day and age and all the new political drama and all of the federal shutdown. And I'm very grateful that I'm a state employee and not a federal employee because yeah. please know I would definitely live here. I would find a bed, I would <laughs> use that cook machine, and I would never leave because this girl has to eat somehow. And all I have at my house is dog treats. You'd be living off of, we have a lot of sparkling water, M&Ms, and a random assortment of protein bars. That's such a good dream. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That's so amazing. Please know, I just like dinner, M&Ms, <laughs> lunch, protein bar, dinner, M&Ms. <laughs> you should add that to your, your list of goals. That's going to be my list of goals, to live off of M&Ms for the rest of my life. There you go. Yes, and cheese. Mm-hmm. But I can say, thus far, I have survived. But mm-hmm. other than that, I try to keep my goals to a minimum. The biggest thing for me is to be better than the year before. Just as generic as that, because that's hopefully something that I could attain or at least try for. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> the second definition of success in the dictionary 
is um, the attainment of wealth, position, honors, or the like. Oh, I failed. <laughs> I failed because I'm poor. But I'll say I've success, succeeded in that I have made my way into your life and yeah. slowly claiming you as one of my besties. Yeah. I'm sneaking in. Y'all don't know this yet, but <laughs> I, I'm staying, y'all. It's happening. If I say I like, this enough, someone's going to believe me. I like how you're, like, saying your master plan on air. <laughs> I just want this to be recorded on the first one. So on right. the last one, be like, yeah, I still live in the corner over here. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just chilling in the corner. I'm the troll that just eats everybody's leftovers. Ooh. Don't worry. I'm oh telling you, gosh. I have a goal. Oh, my gosh. That would be, like, such a fun, some kind of ghost. We, you, we would think you were an office ghost. You know but... what? I I dressed up as the grudge. A while ago, Ooh. that's what I'll do for the rest of the time. Yeah. After the, we finish, I'll just sit in the corner like the grudge and just start screaming at people oh, or I gurgling at people. I love it. And then take their food. And we never address it. No. Like, you, you just never, have to go past like, to the I'm grudge gonna lady. Be, I'm going to be the, the <laughs> secret ghost, like on House, yeah, uh, the Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. You know, they had all those secret ghosts in there. Yeah. I'm going to be that. You could just find me randomly. Man, haunting somebody. This is our office is strange enough that you might be able to like spin that and get paid for it. So, I I'm poor. Give me money. <laughs> I do want to say that um, perhaps we haven't failed, but we're failing. It's an ongoing process of failure. Um, and if we're talking about failure, the definition is helpfully. The first one is lack of success. And then the second one is non-performance of something due, required, or expected. And to quote Serenity, um, the bill comes due, and we have not paid up on society's bill. And this quote I read from A Love Story by Samantha Hunt resonated with me so much when I read it. Um, The suffering of the boys, the shame and mutual responsibility for blue balls, The suffering of the boys. Poor boys, I thought. Poor boys as if I were being called upon to serve in a war effort. The war against boys not getting any. And I felt that so much when I read it. Um, I have felt so guilty for not wanting to have sex, for not giving men what they wanted. And I never never really gave much care or thought to what I wanted. And I think that's an absurd idea that we have to give in just to get past not hurting someone's feelings. That's that's the thing. Like we are taught, as a Southerner, I am taught to please others. We are taught to hug people goodbye. We are taught to kiss, give you know, give everybody a chance. All of these things, and we have to ignore our own instincts to make other people feel comfortable. And we can say that for many of things. But I have definitely been in a situation with men where I'm thinking I'm not interested anymore. But ugh, I just want to get it over with. Yeah, and it shouldn't have to be that way. You and I talked about the whole lost the children the lost children of Rockdale, mm-hmm. which is the whole thing about all of these teenagers getting syphilis. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember watching that video as a social when uh, in my social work class, and several of the girls just came on to talk about how they when they gave up their virginity at thirteen fourteen, they did it because they didn't know they could say no, mm-hmm. and they try to keep it as oh no, but I wanted to. But then right. you talk to them more, and they were just sad and sadder and sadder, but they were told this is what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And it's just a sad thing in general that we are just now, not just now, but we are finally bold enough to talk about the fact that you have a right, you have a choice, and you have the right to enjoy it. So that means on your terms and on your time. Yeah, yeah. 
that that was something else that I found really interesting is this push to change how we talk about sex ed as like, don't get pregnant, don't get diseased, but also, hey, it should be a pleasurable, enjoyable thing. So we have a long way to go. And you touched on, there's so many nuances to this conversation that I think get lost. Um, one big one for me is um, de-escalation, wherein somebody m- might be very um, aggressive flirting with you and you don't want the situation to escalate. So you kind of laugh and you're like, oh no, I'm good. You know, and then people get mad at you for being a tease, right. but you're trying to make the situation not worse. <laughs> so you don't really have a a good option because I've done both. I've done the like, no, right. and gotten yelled at. Right. And then I've done the like de-escalating and gotten yelled at. Right. And these are like shades and nuances that I think we leave out a lot. And that's why the conversation around Aziz Ansari, um, people were like, why didn't you just walk away? There's a lot more to exactly. it. There's a lot at play. I think that's where it gets lost because people wanted, it, women were using, were absolutely going after her because they were like, this is not really rape. Don't use this. Don't compare it to this, this, and this. And essentially, you want to go back with, no, this is a part of the conversation we need to be having because this whole little fine line, she still can change her mind. And she just gave in. Just giving in is not necessarily consent. Yeah. And we need to have that conversation. Do I believe this could be held up in court? Not necessarily. And that's mm-hmm. a whole different thing in itself because as a person who works in the um, government, I know what it can take to actually get a case forward. And it takes a lot. And it's absurd how much you have to do to prove that you've been violated. But at the same time, these are the reasons that people don't come forward. Just the small instances of, well, I didn't fight him. I didn't physically push him. I said no, but he kept going and I just finally gave in. That's still considered a violation. Yeah. And that's the, something that should be stated and should be told to other women. You have been violated. I'm not trying to tell you you're a victim, but you had the right to say no. And for future reference, you have that right to say no and to say, this is not what you want. And unfortunately, when you have to say it was easier, just know it's not your fault either. Right. You are still a person who was taken advantage of. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, in our society, I think that. We're so ready to punish women right. and forgive men. But this is how a lot of sexual assault happens. There's a spectrum. Like, it, right. it is all part of this conversation. All right, but back to success. <laughs> um, to bring it all Bring home. it back. Uh, throughout our media, over and over and over and over again, we see success defined as achieving the nuclear heteronormative family unit with the house and the steady job. And that is a narrow goal and a narrow range of experiences. But that is where I would say our society has set the bar for success as a human. And there's a lot of reasons for that that we could go into. Um, And going back to what I was saying at the beginning, even as a kid, I didn't really want to get married. But I figured I would be by 23. And when that date came and passed, I sort of shrugged it off and thought to myself, well... I can travel more, and then I'll get married. And then 30 came, and now, even though I've come to terms with the fact that I don't want to get married and probably never will, there is a part of me that thinks, what if I change my mind and it is too late? You know what? Growing up in a very religious household, being married and having children was the purpose. I think I said that earlier. And in college, I struggled with my identity because I felt I was not living up to the standards and the ideals of virtue Mm -hmm. or a virtuous woman. 
uh, someone who's subservient. And for me, I'm not a subservient woman. Any person that you meet about me, they know I'm ridiculous. No, I'm just kidding. That I'm I'm very strong. I'm very independent. Um, I'm I'm to a point stubborn mm-hmm. when it comes to what I feel is right. I think uh, marriage was not important to me for a while. I thought that's what it was supposed to be. And of course, there's a bit of a romantic in me, and that thinks, oh, of course, I want to be with someone forever, yeah. never, never, never. But then the other part is like forever and never, <laughs> forever. Thank you yeah. for that one. But for me, family was not an overall goal. I think mm-hmm. as I started getting older and older, to me, being a survivor, I felt this need to uphold others. So to me, it's a survivor's guilt. And I felt like I owed my life to service and advocating for others, which doesn't necessarily mesh with this whole religious overtone, this whole household overtone. And I felt guilty mm-hmm. in not being subservient. I felt guilty for being strong and independent. I felt guilty that... I was parentified at a very young age, so I acted like an adult when I was age seven Mm -hmm. because I was always taking care of myself. And for me, growing up into an environment that was the opposite of Mm -hmm. was a shock. And I still struggle with it today. Like, my identity has been shuffled in all kinds of ways between my ethnicity, between my family background, between my work background. It doesn't always mesh. Mm-hmm. And I think it's hard for me to know that I am the strong leader when I'm being told on a constant basis that if I'm stronger than a male, then I'm failing yeah. because I'm em- emasculating him. Right. So that's on me as well, which is a whole other part. It's kind of like, wait, oh, what? sure, yeah. Me being a strong person makes you less of a man. I don't understand. Right. Yeah, and I— it is worth saying here that even though you and I are not on our way to the the family and the house and all that stuff, the, it's not mutually exclusive to be strong and independent and have those things and want those things. Absolutely nothing wrong no, with it. Not at all. Um, but it's I think it's just like societally that's who we're pointing the finger. At. I mean, for us specifically, when I have a conversation with people around my age in the same circumstances that we are, yeah. making less than a certain amount of money, not having poverty on our own, all of these, those things, we feel like we haven't met the expectations that everybody else has set for themselves and or society has set. Mm-hmm. And if you have those, that's fantastic. I've met many of people, and I have many friends who are married with children, well, respect and love, and I think they are strong, fearless leaders, too. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. raising a and kid. I, honestly, oh my in my gosh. mind, I'm like, I don't understand how you do this yeah. and how you can afford this. Yeah. Um, and there is something that's—I I watch my friends with kids, and there's something so beautiful about it. And the story right. you see, like, in TV and movies, it is romantic. It is, the idea that there is this love, and it's so pure, and— I know that it's that's Hollywood version, right. but I understand. Right. Like, it's not like I'm watching, hmm, I get it. It's just not me. Right. It's not for me. Right. Sometimes I wish it was. Right. Well, I think we've come to our final <laughs> question. But first, we've come to one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Okay, so Samantha. Yes. Are we failures? 
That's a big question. <laughs> I've often talked with people in similar circumstances who feel that due to not being able to hit all life points, they feel like they have failed. Let's say couples who don't have children or adults who don't have homes or couples who aren't actually married but together mm-hmm. or for some women who do want children but are not able to. They feel like they've failed. I think we associate failure with missing out a lot of times. It's the severe case of FOMO. Not FOMO. FOMO! (laughs) I had a friend who married because she felt like that's what she was supposed to do. Literally saying, I remember asking her, so you're in love with this guy, how's everything going? She goes, eh. That was her response. And Mm -hmm. I said, wait, wait, wait. Do you want to marry him? She goes, I guess. In which I was like, wait. Are you sure? She goes, well, aren't I supposed to? This is what's supposed to happen. I'm supposed to get married. And then, of course, a few years later, they are now divorced. Never being in love myself and and not having a relationship, again, lasting longer than nine months, I don't actually know what that looks like, so I can't criticize for that. But I know for me, I would rather be alone and happy than forced into a relationship because I felt like I had to. Because... I'm really good about making myself sad <laughs> or self-anxious uh-huh. or feel lonely. I don't need someone else to add to that. Yeah. Yeah, I used to have a fear of, like, missing out on my, my the only, yes, there you go, uh, on, like, my only chance to get married and what if I never meet the person? And now I have a bigger fear of just settling with someone. Yeah, that's actually become a thing for me as well. That, okay, do I just say to the next guy, you'll do. Yeah. We'll try to work this out. We'll yeah. see how long we can go. Yeah. I'm kind of worried I'll get worn down. Um, I'm wearing you down. <laughs> are we going to get married? Is that what this is? <laughs> if it's easier for me to get paid. Yeah, girl. Okay. <laughs> that got awkward. Well, I'm blushing. <laughs> um, I know, especially for the women in my life, no matter what stage they're in, they all feel like they failed. Uh, to me, I can look at someone who I consider extremely successful, and she will tell me she feels like a failure. And I think a part of that is we place these really high expectations on ourselves and are sometimes reminded of those expectations by family members during holidays. But holidays. that image of success we've been talking about, that's not for everybody. And in fact, it leaves a lot of people out. So I guess for me, I don't necessarily consider myself a failure, even if I feel like one sometimes. But I do think that society considers me, if not a failure, then incomplete. Like, they look That's at me a good word. askew. Incomplete is a good word. Yeah, what is this woman doing alone at this right. food event? Um, I have gotten my family to sort of accept it. Annie is going to be Annie. Um, they, they wish I would settle down, but they have stopped telling me that. I will take it. And they don't consider me a failure I, I, I know that, um, but they do want me to want the things they want for me. You know, I could say the same for my family. At this point, like I said, my siblings have all been divorced and gone through some horrendous things. So my mother has backed off greatly mm-hmm. and trying to get me to marry someone just to marry someone. There is some mentions from my father about wanting to have brown children, which is super fun and awkward as it is. Yep. But outside of that, they've realized I'm fairly content. And of all of the children, I'm pretty stable. So they've started to leave me alone more and more. Mm-hmm. I have noticed, though, that Christmas times, I'm getting less presents 
but my dog is getting all the presents. I did see proof of this. Yeah. Like, this this year I looked around, there's these giant presents. I'm getting really excited. Maybe I'm getting <laughs> a nice jacket. No, 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 no. They were for my dog. Yeah, Peach is really made out. Peaches is the, the grandkid. Uh, yeah, I think they're <laughs> the like, we're giving up on the fact that you're having a spouse or a child, so we're going to give all of our affection to your dog. Peaches Gertrude McFuzzin. Yeah, that's my dog's name. Over the recent New Year's, you and I <laughs> plotted ways to stay indoors on New Year's. It was glorious. It actually was. For me, I love a good party, but New Year's parties... Mine in particular are notoriously awful. I do love looking back at the pictures of like the beginning of the night and thinking, oh, you poor thing. You don't know what's coming for you later. It's <laughs> happening. Um, so I was I was invited to a couple, but it was raining and I really just wanted to go home. So I stayed in and ordered mac and cheese twice after already eating some at a restaurant mere hours earlier. Oh, yeah, I was there. You ate all of it. <laughs> I, was, I was very proud of you. You came in going, I just want mac and cheese. And I said, we can make this happen. Mm-hmm. And you sure did. Oh, I did. I, I, I do apologize if you happen to be a listening, nice delivery people. I am so sorry that I made you work on New Year's. <laughs> but I was very, very intoxicated. Uh, I just really wanted that mac and cheese. I did. And the first container was very small. Aww. So I knew immediately that I was going to have to get more. more. Mm-hmm. Um. And I watched Harry Potter while dressed as Spider-Man and reading a Harry Potter fan fiction, which I, some of you probably saw the video, and I did that for you. You did. We made a promise to each other yes, <laughs> that we would at midnight. Take a picture. And with a cheers thing. <laughs> and uh, I, I knew immediately because we were talking about how you would never dress up. And I, I was like, oh, I've got all the stuff. You Don't sure you did. worry. <laughs> That's what I was like. Oh, wait. You're texting all your besties? Am I one of the besties? Yeah. <laughs> the I, plan is working. You're going to be my best friend. That one didn't even make sense. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was texting all of my best friends while watching Harry Potter. So we started watching them at the same time. And then what else were you doing at the same time? I was reading that fan fiction. You had written. I had written and I discovered on my old laptop and I, I'm embarrassed to say, but it brought me to tears. Yeah, my you, own nerd fan fiction. You were texting me how about how tragic it was. It was really was like, sad. why, Harry? Why? Why did I put him through that? Well, I also was watching Harry Potter. That was this is kind of a tradition for me during the holidays to watch all the Harry Potters yeah, me too. and some other really bad Christmas movies mm-hmm. while you were sleeping. Yeah. I'll watch that. Mm-hmm. But this time it was Harry Potter. And because we had said we were going to send the pictures, I put on my panda onesie. Mm-hmm. You did. And I took that picture. And then I also had a picture of me kissing my dog because mm-hmm. I'm lonely. <laughs> um, but, we started the new uh, new year off right. But she was rolling her eyes at me uh-huh. in the picture. Yeah. Can we talk about how my dog is so judgmental? That's a I think separate I, podcast. But I mean, yeah. I know I've mentioned this a few times, but y'all, mm-hmm. my dog's the worst and the best. Yeah. She's both in one package. So we, we tell that story to show, I think, maybe we're succeeding. I think that was a completely successful <laughs> New Year's. I did not fall. Yep. I did not have a huge hangover. Mm-hmm. I did not do something dumb. And I didn't have any, do anything that anybody can blackmail me with. Yeah, I mean, my Spider-Man video lives on, but I don't It was fantastic. Care. Thank you. It was you. It was very me. Very I cute. actually, you couldn't see it in the picture, but I was wearing a Gryffindor tie. I too. saw it. Oh, good. I did. Yes. I noticed it. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. I just like <laughs> totally, that was a real reaction. All right. Well, listeners, you now know a lot more about us than you possibly ever wanted. But you're welcome. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Samantha. As I said before, 
I'm not leaving. <laughs> I live here now, y'all. Okay, well, if I if I start noticing weird things, I'll know it's not a ghost. It's just Samantha. Oh, I'm a ghost. But I'll I'll let the rumor spread. I won't. There's I won't this rat random you out. grudge ghost in the background. Yes, it's me. Uh, oh, very good. Was that good? That was very was convincing. That a noise? Mm-hmm. <laughs> one thing before we close out, as I said at the top, one of our goals is to be really straight with all of you about what we're doing to deal with these things, or maybe how we're not handling things very well. Um, because I remember when I was younger, seeing people and wondering how in the world they were handling themselves so well. And in my eyes, they were such a success, and it really hindered my healing. And that was on me. I was comparing myself to people. That's always dangerous. Um, And this was just another way that I thought I was failing. But Samantha and I are practicing self-care. We're keeping an eye out for each other. Um, We're (laughs) keeping our producer in the loop. Um, And uh, just remember, you rarely ever see people in their darkest moments I mean, you you barely even see them in their dark moments or their boring moments or their just, like, not okay moments. Um, so please, please, please take care of yourselves and know that we are doing the same. At the end of these episodes, we're going to do a check-in and share what we're doing to take care of ourselves and each other. Yeah, and as a social worker, one of my biggest positions is to make sure you have resources at hand to be able to care for yourself. And if you need to help in finding these resources, please let us know. We want to make sure you have access to whatever you are you need or you're able to handle to move forward in the healing. For me, I I told Annie at the very beginning, and I think I told you this like three different times, I want to make sure you're okay. I want to make sure that this is not costing you your emotions, your heart, your your physical and mental health, because you should not sacrifice yourself for the sake of a for the sake of just doing a story. Because this is more than that. We want to be vulnerable. We want to make sure people understand what's happening. And and we are trying to open up to make sure you see this perspective and what it looks like to walk in these hard times. Yeah. But at the same time, you need to know your limits, which we said at the very beginning. And you need to be able to take a break. And you have that control. And you need to take on that control. Shoot. One of the things that I do to take care of myself at the end of every day is watch ridiculous sitcoms. Fox and Rec is my fave. I'm not going to lie. Yep. And then also watch a lot of dog videos. So just to put this out there, if you need really cute dog pictures, my dog, the jerk, Peaches Gertrude McFuzzin, has uh-huh. some really great pictures. I will be glad to forward that to anyone. She absolutely will. That is not a bluff. <laughs> I love the dog pictures. Please reach out to us. If you want any of those resources, need any of those resources, we'll be happy to put you in touch. Um, in the meantime... You can email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com and you can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou. Thank you again, Samantha, for being with us on this journey. Thank you so much for letting me be part of this. Yeah. I'm never leaving. <laughs> I'm starting to get that thought. Um, thanks, as always, to our producer, Andrew Howard, and thanks to you for listening. Bye.